the reason that I've been focusing on cross-bearing during the service today and is, is because that's what Jesus calls us to. We're going to focus especially on verses 34 through 36 where Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. But I want to read to you and with you the entire context. You can set it within the, the section that Jesus speaks to us. And we'll make some special applications of these words to, to our life together and to our ministry and mission here together. Uh, God's word from Mark chapter 8. Please stand because these are the words and the works of our Savior Jesus. Uh, from Mark chapter 8 beginning at verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he, Jesus, asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But then Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, this is a day for us to die to ourselves, a, a day for us to die to our concerns, a day for us to die to, to selfishness. It's a day for us to die so that we might rise, rise in you, rise with you, rise for you. Uh, so, Lord God, let, give that power to my words so that the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, that most of all it would be pleasing to you to, in your sight and that your people might die and by your power rise again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When you think about Mount Lebanon, when you think about what it means to be a Mount Lebanese, if that's the right way to say it, who's somebody that pops into your head? This person, these people, they exemplify, they embody the Mount Lebanon way. When you, when you think of somebody who embodies what it is to be a follower of Jesus here among us, who comes to mind? I could probably list some people who are seated here today, but I won't do that. So the person that I think about, I think about Lorraine. And I know my time among you is still pretty short. God willing, we have many more years together. 
But I, I, I think about Lorraine. She always sat right up here. She was always one of the first people here. And the reason I think about Lorraine is because she, she wasn't perfect. You, those of you who knew her knew that she wasn't. But the reason I think about Lorraine is because she loved God's Word. She was deeply, it was just part of who she was. If there was a Bible study, Lorraine at least wanted to be here. And it wasn't just at church that the Word of God was heart and core of, of who she was and, and, and living out her following of Jesus, but it was also something that she made part of her life. If you visited her in her home, you'd find the meditations and a Bible seated at one of the most important places in her house. For Lorraine, I think that was her kitchen table. And she also, so Lorraine loved God's Word, but she also loved God's people. That's why every Sunday, what did she bring? Come on, what did she bring? Deviled eggs, right? She, she always made sure that there were deviled eggs because Lorraine knew that, what, that food brings people together. She was very much about making sure that, that food and God's Word and God's people were happening. See, see, as a church, one of the things that we've said is that we, we, we're here to share God's Word so that people are connected to Jesus and connected to our caring Christian community. And so the thing that, that's the most important part of who we are and what we do as a church is the Word of God. And the Word of God does its thing. It connects people to Jesus. It connects people to God's Word. And so, that, so our dream, if we live this out, if we're gathering, if we're growing, if we're connecting, if we're giving, if we're going with the gospel, if we're living this out as a church, we want to be a community for the community. That's what we've been saying. Right? That's, that's why we have food. That's why we have the Word. Because that gathers God's people and makes us into a community. And that's, first of all, that's what's happening here this morning. Do you see it? God's gathering a community. We, we said it in the creed, the communion, the community of saints, the community of God's holy ones. It's not that we're all perfect, except we're perfect through Jesus. We're holy ones in His sight. We're, we're a community for the community. This has been a conversation we've been having at some of our leadership meetings, at our Board of Nurture meetings. What does it mean to be for the community? And the questions even asked, well, who is the community? Is it, is it Hampton Heights? Is it, is it school community? Is it the Milwaukee greater community? Is it our neighborhood communities? Is it our mother's group community? Who's the community? Some people say that we should be more specific, and I say maybe not, because then we can open up our eyes and see the places where God calls us to serve. Where all this is going and how I want to connect this with you to, to what Jesus says to us about following him is, I want to say this right up front. The church, if, the, if, if, Jesus, if what Jesus says is true, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, the church then doesn't exist for us. Here's the first villain. The church doesn't exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Now, I want, you to, I, want, I want to help you understand what that means. I'm not at all saying that, that, this, that this is not for you. This is absolutely for you. But we exist. We're, we're a non-selfish, we want to be at least, a non-selfish group of people who exist for other people. And the other people might be the people next to you in the pew. Actually, they are the people next to you in the pew. 
In other words, it's not about you. Right? It, it, the, the church, we, we don't exist for ourselves. We, we are the church and we exist for the world. We, we exist to be servants. We exist to be caretakers of other people. To be nurturing of the people next to us and in front of us and behind us and around us. But what's the challenge to that? What's our natural bent? What's our natural tendency? The, the fill-in is this. We tend naturally to be consumers. We, we tend to see the gathering as an opportunity for me to... And let me be clear that we want to give you something this morning. But we tend to make the gathering all about me consuming something. We tend to make our, 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 our small groups all about me getting something. We tend to make our events all about me getting something. We tend to make it about consumerism rather than service. And isn't that what Peter did with Jesus? If you take a moment just to kind of think through what happened that day with Peter and Jesus... Wasn't Peter making it all about him? It starts out pretty well, doesn't it? Peter and Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, Jesus has this, this teaching moment where he wants to teach them something. And he says to his disciples, who do people tell you that I am? And, he, and the disciples said, well, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. And then he says, but what about you? Peter says, you're the Messiah. Matthew tells us a little bit more of his confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, Jesus adds his amen. Right on, Peter. Nailed it. Right? So right, we're in a good place. Peter's confessing like we just did. He's confessing the creed. This is Peter's creed about Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. This is Peter's creed. And then Jesus says, Peter, let me tell you the rest of your creed. Let me tell you what you mean when you say I'm the Messiah. Well, Peter, it means I have to die. I have to suffer. I have to be betrayed. I have to be handed over. I have to be killed. And then after three days, I have to be raised to life. And all of a, all of a sudden, whatever Peter hoped he could get out of Jesus dis disappears before his eyes. He had hoped to get something out of Jesus. Things were good with Jesus, right? Peter was hungry. What did Jesus do? Well, he broke some bread and multiplied fish. When the seas were stormy, Jesus told the seas to shut up, right? All these things Jesus is doing for his disciples, and Peter's saying, Jesus, if you die, all that's gone. What do you expect when you come to church? What do you expect to get out of it? I imagine if you're like me, because I'm, I'm like you, we're cut from the same cloth of Adam. You come to church and you expect to sing some songs that you, if you don't like them, at least you can sing them. You know, there, there's nothing worse, I don't know how you feel about this, sometimes nothing worse than singing a song that you can't sing. You, you come to church and you hope that there's something uplifting for you. you. You come to church and you hope for a message that you can Get something out of. You want a pastor you can understand who's not rocking the boat too much. Sorry about that. 
You, you, you want to be welcomed in. You want warmth. I don't know, I'm speaking, from, I'm speaking from my own thinking, but you want warmth, you want to be welcomed, you want to be loved. You don't want to, you don't want to feel judged. You don't want to feel looked down upon. In other words, you want things to go just the way that you want them to go. Now, I want to be clear. We're here to serve you. We're here to bring God's word to you. We're here to do what we can to make you feel welcomed here. We're here to give you songs that you can sing and that you can carry with you into your life. We're here to do all of those things. But the problem is we end up setting up these hills to die on, these sacred cows that maybe you've even thought this or even said this out loud. If they don't, I'm going to. Right? We, we lay down, and, and we, listen, we ought to do that with the Word of God. If Pastor Krieger or I start preaching malarkey up here, you better leave. You first talk to us. <laughs> Please talk to us first because we don't mean to. But if we keep on doing it, then, it, then it, you have to leave here. The Word of God is that important. But if all of a sudden we're throwing down the gauntlet and dying on hills because of hymnals or books or hymns or clothes, need to think again. Because the church doesn't exist for us. We exist for the world to serve other people. It's not, it's not about us. And you see, so you see what Jesus did. He, he takes Peter aside because Peter had set up this hill to die on, so to speak. And he said, Jesus, you cannot die on that hill. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter, you're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about what's good for you. You're being selfish. And Peter, you're actually getting in the way of what God sent me to do. See, see, I want you to understand something about hills to die on. There's only, I think you have to flip the page now. There's, there's only one hill that ever had to be died on and Jesus died on it. Did you catch that in what Jesus said to his disciples before Peter rebuked him? He, he laid it right out there for him in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief preachers, and teachers of the law, and that he must be. It was absolutely necessary. It had to happen this way. So when Peter says, no, Jesus, you can't, Peter's actually get, trying to get in the way of what God wants to do, what God had to do. It had to happen this way, the cross, I mean. All of the Old Testament had said so. Turn every page from Genesis through the end of the Old Testament and you'll see prophecy after prophecy, promise after promise, word after word about a king who would come and die for his people. Isaiah 53 is so prominent in our hearts, isn't it? 
He was led like a lamb to the slaughters as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And that's not the only one. That's just the one that we maybe know the best and by heart the most. The Scripture said it had to be this way. So if God is going to be true to his word, then it had to happen this way. And it had to happen with this way because God said, because it was God's will. Let's not forget that from the very beginning, before a word of Scripture was written down, before Moses started to describe out Genesis, God had determined in his heart that he was going to give his son to die. Because our Father in heaven knew that that was the only way to save us. So it had to be this way because that was the Father's will. <laughs> and, you, and by the way, you needed it to be this way. It, it had to be this way. Jesus had to go to the cross for your sake. Because if it came down to it, to, to being perfect and getting heaven by being perfect, there was no way that we were going to get it. You know the verses, the wages of sin is death. And the only way that that wage is paid is somebody has to pay it. God is not a God who overlooks wages. If death must be paid, it must be paid in blood and in full. And so the options are you pay for it or Jesus would. It had to be this way for your sake because God your Father in heaven did not want you to die. He does not want you to die. Let me be present tense. He does not want you to die, so it had to be this way. And Jesus agreed. That's why he lays down this divine necessity. Because when the Father said, Jesus, I, you must do this. I need you to go and die for these people. It wasn't just the Father's will. But the Son said, yes, Father, what you will, I will too. What you want, I want too. What you command me to do, that I will gladly do. Right, see, the cross of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, that's our everything. That's our, our life and our hope. That's, that's our own resurrection, right? By baptism, we die and we rise again. See, this is the cross. This is, I hope you can make this connection. I, I don't know if I'm making it very well. The cross of Jesus is everything, and so everything we do has to be aimed at holding on to him. And so what Jesus calls us to do then today is not die on hills, but die to hills. Not die on hills, die for things, but die to those things that matter so much that we die to them, that we would give up everything for them. I want you to listen again to what Jesus says. Verse 34, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. A lot of times when we think about cross-bearing, we think about things that are hard. 
Like we would say, you can agree with me or disagree later, but we would say that cancer is a cross or, or poverty is, is the cross. And I would say, kind of. The heart of, the, of bearing a cross is denying ourselves. So the deepest pain of cancer is not the cancer, but my will which says, God, I don't want cancer and I don't like this, but you've let me get cancer. So we have a battle of the wills. The hardest part of cancer is the will thing, not the cancer itself. The, the, the same thing with hardship or trouble. The hardest thing about the hardship is that we don't like it. I don't anyway. Maybe you like being in pain. I hate it. And so what God calls us to do then is submit ourselves to him, to, not, I don't, to, to deny ourselves and say, God, your will is always best. That's the cross. And so in, in worship, we, we practice that. Right? As we gather together in worship, we, we practice that. Because when we die to the things that we think are really cool and important to us, then we, we die to those things and we hold on to the cross that really matters. Honestly, that's why I didn't wear a robe today because I wanted to rub some of you the wrong way. I almost wore jeans, but I thought that would be too far. <laughs> I promise I'm not trying to make your life difficult. But I'm trying to teach you what are the things that really matter about our worship? What are the things that really matter in our lives? It's not what we wear, it's who we worship. It's, it's the cross of Jesus. Let me just give you another example. You know, it's been five years now, so it's crazy. But, you know, the team ministry is one of the greatest things and one of the hardest things ever. It's great because you don't do it alone, but it's terrible because you never get to do whatever you want. And so every day as you work with a team of ministers called workers, every day as you work with a, a, minute, a congregation, you have to die a little bit inside. Actually, die a lot inside. Because we're living and walking and doing ministry together. It's, it's denying ourselves so that we let go of everything that doesn't matter and hold on to the one who does matter. Right? This is why... We, we have hymns, and some of you like them, and some of you don't. We have songs, some of you like them, and some of you don't. And that's okay. Right? It's, it's denying ourselves what we really want so we can hold on to the one who saved us. Right? It's, it's denying, cross worship is, is a cross-bearing activity. It's, it's how God gathers the people, his people together. It's how God helps us to hold on to the one, who is, the one thing and the one person who is needful, who is our Savior, Jesus. I want you to look around for a minute. Just look around. You don't have to stare at people. That would be awkward. Or at least think about the people around you. Now, I want you to think this in your heart. These are the people for whom I must die. This is the last villain. These are the people for whom I must die. And I don't mean give up your life. I'm not suggesting anything ridiculous like that. What I'm saying to you is, what if we as a church said about each other first? You first. What would serve you 
And sometimes serving, you, serving someone means saying no. Sometimes it does. Serving someone doesn't always mean saying yes. But what if we thought to ourselves, how can I serve these people around me, these dear ones, these little ones, these big ones, these young ones, these old ones, how can I serve these dear people around me for the sake of the gospel? And, and what if in doing that and thinking, taking on this you first mindset, what if in taking that on, we also started to die a little bit inside to the things that, really, that we really like? to our preferences, to our likes, to our dislikes. I'll put the robe on next week, I promise. Actually, I'm not preaching, Pastor Krieger is. I'll wear it the week after, though. What if we died a little bit inside so that as we die to ourselves, we cling more tightly to Christ and His Word because that's when we begin to live. The more we cling to what we want, the more bitterness and grumpiness and anger and all that stuff grows. But the more that stuff dies away, the more we cling to Christ and the more we really begin to live. Because then when the men's choir isn't that great, we say, ah, they were praising Jesus together. We were great. We were great, guys. But, but then when the, the singer or the musician, when the song's too slow, you say, awesome. And when the song's too fast, you say, awesome. Right? Because we've died to ourselves and all that stuff doesn't matter anymore because then Christ is the center of our lives together. See, that's, that's what cross-bearing is about. It's not about what we carry. It's about who we hold and what he gives us as we hold on to him, which is life, forgiveness, and peace. God grant it to you, dear people of God. Amen? Amen. Now may the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.